so there are still some traditions of, of, uh, of the PCA and of New St. Peter's uh, that, that are still kind of foreign to me. And so in case you don't know, uh, maybe if you feel like a foreigner like me sometimes, uh, they did not forget to give me a black robe. The black robe is, uh, uh, is reserved for those who have been ordained in the PCA and who have received a calling or a job within the PCA. So, when you see me up here without a black robe on, robeless, vulnerable, <laughs> you know something about my identity. I have not been ordained, I have not accepted a calling or job within the PCA, but it also means that if you have any concerns or problems with what I say this morning, I am happily and joyfully under the oversight of Colin and John and the session, and you are welcome to direct your concerns straight to them. <laughs> Robeless. But I feel like at this stage of life right now, I'm getting this question a lot, who are you? And sometimes it's difficult to answer, and sometimes I'm having to knock on a refugee's door, because that's the type of organization uh, that we have. We work with refugees in Dallas. I have to be knocking on their door, and sometimes they'll open it behind the, the bolted chain, and they ask me sometimes in broken English, who, who are you, or if it's very broken, who you? And I have to very quickly, in my best broken English, try to tell them who I am. English teacher, um, help, help, I'm here to help. And uh, this is not making fun of them, this is just literally how we talk. Um, and so, but it, it, it makes me have to ask the question, who are you? Because to the government, I'm the director of a 501c3 for the nations. Uh, to refugees, I'm an English teacher and I'm a Bible teacher, but I'm also a bus driver and a fundraiser. And I'm the guy that has to put you in time out if you don't listen to your teachers well enough. But in other contexts, I'm an intern. I'm the missions guy. I'm the refugee guy. I'm a young dad. But still in others, I'm to, to my children, I'm a father who has... Uh, always been, who is as old as the hills. Um, I'm also the, the playground uh, and the disciplinarian, but still in other contexts to our parents and to our in-laws, we are sometimes always just children. So this is a difficult question for me to, to answer of who are you? And maybe you feel the same uh, in, in the same situation that I'm in. And for you young theologians, it may be who are you? Are you an athlete, an academic, a reader? Maybe you're popular. Maybe only your mother loves you. Maybe this is true for us adults. But we're going to be looking at the question of who are we in the story of the Good Samaritan this morning. So let's get started. The story starts with a man looking for a loophole. We have a lawyer who is questioning Jesus about eternal life and wondering the all-important question, how exactly do, do I go about getting this eternal life? Now, is the lawyer sincere in his question or is he trying to trick Jesus? I'm not sure, and probably all of us come to God with the question of, God, how do I get eternal life? And we're kind of like, seriously, I really want to know, but also, seriously, don't I have it? I'm, I'm really actually good enough. And so, is the lawyer sincere? I'm, I'm not sure. It's probably a mix. But he asked the question to Jesus, how exactly do I go about getting it? 
And Jesus responds with ninja-like questioning answering skills by answering the question with a question. And he says, well, how do you read it? Uh Uh-oh. Now the lawyer's on the spot. And he's a lawyer. He's a religious lawyer. And so he better have the answer. And so just like any good lawyer, he, he steps up to the plate, maybe with a little bit of his reputation on the line as the crowd is watching him. And he does what we all do when we are in a difficult spot. He reaches for the easiest answer first. He reaches for the Shema, or the Hero Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. This is the most popular, most quoted verse in Judaism, uh, is the Shema. So he says, uh-oh, okay, so he grabs, the, he grabs the Shema. He grabs the, love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your strength, and your mind. Then he also grabs Leviticus 19, and he says, and love your neighbor as yourself. He did it. And Jesus uh, commends his answer. He says, that's right. You got it. If you do these things, just love God perfectly and love your neighbor as yourself, you have eternal life. Now, sometimes Jesus seems like the king of the understatement. Because, I mean, you can say that very quickly. Yeah, just love God and love others. But the reality is, all of human history has consistently shown that we don't meet these standards, that, we are in, that, that it's impossible for us to grab them, whether it's a, a code that we believe we're following from Scripture or God, or even just an, our own code for ourselves, we continually let ourselves down, is that we don't meet perfection. But Jesus almost ends this conversation with the lawyer by saying, that's right, almost like, good job, go get him, tiger, you'll do your best, you'll get that eternal life. But it's then the lawyer who quickly realizes that his own, he, he does not even meet the standards that he himself just set. So the lawyer who just said, love your neighbor as yourself, says, uh-oh, I just said this. I don't know if I can do this. In fact, there may even be some people in the crowd who are able to point to times that this lawyer cannot, like, has not loved his neighbor as himself. And so he asked the follow-up question that jumps us into the story of the Good Samaritan, where he says, "Um, Jesus, who exactly is my neighbor? Jesus then replies with an almost, ah, I'm I'm glad you asked. And he launches into a long answer. Now, some people don't like long answers. Some people just want short answers, just give me the details Just give me the yes or no answer. Uh, But Jesus jumps into a long answer, and if it's good enough for Jesus, it's good enough for me. And so Jesus starts out by setting the scene, saying, picture a man who is walking on the road from uh, from Jerusalem to Jericho. This would imply that he's Jewish uh, with a demographic, of the same demographic characteristics as the people who are listening to Jesus tell this story. Uh, And then suddenly, this guy, who's just a normal guy from Jerusalem, he's jumped by thieves. Uh, he's, He's beaten up, and his clothes are taken along with everything he has. Now, at this point, if you were a youth group, I might have you say, aw, poor guy. But you're not a youth group. Uh, We are all very serious adults, and I would appreciate if you can keep your face very serious. It helps me a lot. Um, But when you hear of this man, this just average guy who gets beaten up, I want you to at least then think in your head, aw, 
Poor guy. So he's beaten up. He's left for dead, the guy on the, the side of the road. Um, and, and the crowd is sitting there thinking, well, that's not right. This guy, that, oh, poor guy, he's just like me. He didn't deserve to be beaten up. Or maybe he did if he was walking on the road from Jerusalem to Jericho, which was characteristically a place for robbers, especially if he was by himself. But he's beaten up, and the thieves leave him helpless. And the man's fate is sealed. If no one comes to rescue him, he's dead. He's as good as dead already. And so the man, poor, innocent, helpless, his fate is sealed. And then suddenly, the dawn breaks. The light shines through, and we see our hero start to ride in on his white horse. Now, it wasn't actually a horse. Uh, they, didn't, they weren't actually cowboys. But for, for sake of the story, the hero comes in, the expected hero riding on his white horse, and it is the priest. And again, if you were the youth group at this point, I would have you go, yay! But you're not a youth group. So with the man, ah, oh, with the priest, yay! The priest comes running up, and, and the crowd around Jesus shouts, yay! The priest, the one who knew the law, the one who knew about the true, God, the true God, the priest whose job it was to help the people by being a servant of God, the priest who was the highest representative of the people before their God, surely the priest will help. And as the white horse comes galloping up to the scene, looking like a cowboy coming to save the day, maybe the man on the side of the road sees him and sees him coming. And he says, yes, I'm going to be rescued. Here he comes. He's getting closer. He sees me. What's he doing? He's, he's He's going to the other side of the road. I'm dead. As the priest goes by and passes At this, the crowd might be a little disappointed in their expected hero. But this is uh, then the 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 dawn breaks again, and the second hero comes riding in. But this time, well, it's a Levite, and the Levites were the helpers of the priest, so his horse is not quite as white. His 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 horse is not quite as big, but the horse comes riding in. Uh, and, and now the crowd around Jesus might know what to expect. And so if the priest gets a yay, the Levite gets a yay, they're not expecting as much. They probably see where the story's going. So the Levite comes in, sees the man on the side of the road, and passes by on the other side. Why are these men not helping? Where were they going? Maybe they had important business to attend to because of their elevated positions in the society. Uh, Maybe they didn't want to touch an unclean man. I'm not sure. Jesus is telling a story. He might be making it up on, on the spot. But what we do know is that they saw the man and they didn't do anything. This is the sin of omission. A sin of omission is the sin of not doing something. Um, this is in comparison to the sin of commission, which is the sin of doing something bad. So we, as people, tend to, even though we know it's wrong, put sins into two different categories. The bad ones, the bad ones and the ones that aren't that bad. And so a sin of commission, like what the, what the thieves did, well, yes, this is a big problem. They beat him up, they stole his stuff, that's bad. But then the sin of omission, at least the priests and the Levites, see it as different. They see it as not as bad, um, 
But from the man on the side of the road's perspective, it's all the same sin. It's all the same sin that nobody cares about him. Everyone, the thieves, the priests, the Levites, they are all thinking about themselves. So who are we in the story? Well, as Christians, we cannot read this story correctly without seeing that we are the priests and the Levites and the thieves and the robbers. So we are constantly failing the call to be the light of the world because we are so self-focused. And we refuse to notice people that we feel are unimportant and not worth something. Now, as director of a refugee ministry, I, I could pull in a refugee example here. There's also a lot of news about immigration right now. But I'm going to keep it easy and simple, and I'm, I'm going to uh, focus on, on dementia. You see, we have this tendency with people in dementia and with Alzheimer's, why do we help them? They're old. They live their life. They can't help us anymore. And so we can have a tendency to take people like this who we deem not worth anything and push them to the side. Now, they need to get help uh, and things like this, but we don't just push them to the side physically. We also push them to the side from our mind. I'm not going to waste my life on their life. They already got their life. They're old, right? YOLO, you only live once. And so I'm not going to give up mine for theirs when they can't give anything back to me. I mean, why should I think about them? They don't think about us. They can't. This is a very American, but also just a very sinful way of looking at humanity as I will give to those who can give back to me. You see, and so we, we put ourselves as the heroes of our story so much, but the reality is from, from, from cradle to grave, we are taught self-focus. And so we're taught to share. Why? So that people will share back with us. We are taught to work, we, are taught to, we want to work hard in school or work so that people will see us as smart and having everything together. Uh, we, uh, we parent a certain way so that we're not judged by our neighbors or our parents or our friends or our spouse or that inner voice. We don't want to be judged. We want to find ourselves awesome. Uh, we save towards retirement so that we won't be a burden on anyone else because that's what people that are worthless do. They're burdens on other people. We don't want to be that, right? That would be terrible. And we travel to see the world to enrich our own perspective. Uh, and then we will even do things like buy our own seminary, uh, seminary, <laughs> cemetery plots so that we don't... Uh, you can make all the connections you want there. Uh, <laughs> so that we don't bother anyone else, so that we're not a burden to anyone else. And so from the beginning to the end, we're just saying, look, I'll take care of myself. And for the whole, for the whole life then, we are focusing on ourselves. We are the stars of our own movies. And we are asking the same question as the lawyer, who is my neighbor? Meaning, who is it mandatory that I take care of? Because I'm not going to take care of people that cost me too much and don't have things to give back to me in the end. So who is my neighbor? And the crowd listening to Jesus and the priest and the Levite and you and I realize we don't love our neighbor. We don't love anybody like we love ourselves. 
And so you and I don't truly love. The priest and the Levite don't truly love. And the crowd standing around Jesus don't really love their neighbor. Revealing the larger problem, of course, is that we don't actually love God with all of our heart, soul, strength, and, and mind, no matter how many times we say it. So who are we in the story of the Good Samaritan? Well, we can't read it correctly without seeing that we are the priests and the Levites and the robbers because we are so self-centered. So who will rescue us from this self-centeredness? Who will rescue us from ourselves? Well, the story doesn't stop there. And suddenly we see the last person uh, arriving in the story, a Samaritan. Now, this will be the last time, I promise. If you were the youth group, I would then have you do something like, boo, excellent, thank you. Some people are starting to embrace it. But uh, so, so just to review, the man on the side of the road, uh, the, the, the priest, yay, the Levite, yay, and the Samaritan, boo. This is not the hero you want in your story for the people of Israel. The Samaritans were not well liked. Uh, before, uh, many years back, they had mixed bloodlines with uh, Gentiles. They had created a false religion to a false god. They were hated and they were segregated out, out of fear of other people touching them or coming into contact with them. This is the Samaritan woman at the well all by herself. And they were also seen as traitors. Uh, traitors uh, to the country because it was believed that the Roman invasion had happened because uh, Israel had not been following God. Therefore, if the Samaritans had been doing their job and following God, then maybe the Romans wouldn't be there. So they were hated. And then the Samaritan comes running, comes comes galloping up, maybe on his donkey. Um, He comes riding up and, and he sees the man. And you can almost hear the crowd around Jesus say, he's going to run. And he stops and he gets off his animal. And the crowd around Jesus might be yelling, he's going to kick him. But the Samaritan sees the man and has compassion on him. And for this, the, the Jewish audience listening to Jesus probably went something like, no. No. He doesn't get to do that. He doesn't get to be your hero. In comparison, it's kind of like you're stuck inside your house, looking out your window. You can't get out, but you see your your child out there, your son or daughter, and they start being attacked by a wild dog. Now, if this has actually happened to you, please picture something much less traumatizing. Um, But they see their son or daughter being attacked by a wild dog, and they can't get out to rescue their son or daughter. They see a policeman coming, and the policeman flies by. Doesn't help. They see a fireman coming, and the fireman zooms by as well. But then a Daesh comes out of nowhere, fights off the dog, rescues your son or daughter, and carries him back or her back to your door. Now, you didn't gasp when I used the word Daesh. You probably said something like, who? Is that a who? What is this? And the reason you didn't gasp is because you, you probably didn't know that Daesh is the highly offensive and derogative term that Iraqis who live in America use about the members of ISIS in Iraq. Also, your family has probably, you have probably not had family members or friends killed 
by this group of people. Your hatred for the Daesh, for the ISIS members, is, is not fresh. But this is what the Samaritan is. The Samaritan is someone who is hated. So give yourself some liberty to insert into the story someone that you hate. This might be an illegal person. It might be a certain uh, governmental party. It might be a Canadian. (laughs) I just found out. uh, It might be a teacher that you don't like for you young theologians. It might be an abusive relative. It's really anyone that you feel the world would be better off without. This is the Samaritan. The Samaritan is someone who comes to a people that hate him to rescue those who cannot rescue themselves and save them and take care of them and promises to come back for them. Does this story sound familiar? Because it should. It's the story of Christ. That Jesus came to those who hated him and he rescued those who could not help themselves. So who is the good Samaritan? Well, Christ is the Good Samaritan. So who are we in the story of the Good Samaritan? Well, look, I know I told you before that we are the the priests and the Levites and robbers, and and that was fun. We were having some fun then. Uh, but, But you can't read the story of the Good Samaritan correctly unless you see that we are the man on the side of the road. We are the ones who are dead in our transgressions. Uh, We are the ones who cannot help ourselves. And then this makes Christ the good Samaritan who came to the helpless, uh, who came to those who cannot save themselves. So this makes Christ not just a good Samaritan, this makes him a great Samaritan, which is going to be the title of your outline. And just like the Samaritan took the man to the inn and promises to return, Christ has promised to return for us. And so if you see the story of the Good Samaritan as only a lesson of you should help other people, that's great. Non-Christians can see this too. But because of our faith and because in knowing the larger story, if you miss the point of Christ being the Good Samaritan, then you've missed the point of the Good Samaritan. You've missed the point of Scripture. And it's the fact that God the Father sent God the Son, who was fully God and fully man, to become incarnate for our salvation and rescue and die for our sin, taking on our sin and death. But he did not stay dead, but three days later, he physically rose from the grave. And, and then God the Father sent God the Holy Spirit to conform us into the image of the Son. Jesus has saved us when we were dead in our transgressions and sins. He is the Good Samaritan. So who are we? We are the man on the side of the road. So now the crowd is standing there around Jesus, looking at him, maybe with, maybe with their mouths open, maybe some of them angry, maybe some of them confused that the Samaritan was just the hero of this story. And then Jesus asks, So, lawyer, who loved the man more? And the lawyer responds with, Well, the one who showed him mercy. And again, Christ, the king of understatements, says, good, 
go and do the same. And Christ, again, leaves them with an impossible standard to meet, loving God perfectly and loving others perfectly. And the people, they go. They leave from around Jesus, some hearing him without truly hearing the message, some seeing him without ever knowing who he is, believing he is real but not believing in him as the one who who was sent to save them from their sin. But to those who the Father called, to those who are his sheep and who are indwelt by the Holy Spirit, They follow their master. They follow their king and shepherd. And so now, because of what Christ has done, the Father has sent the Holy Spirit to indwell us, to change us, and to move his church. And at Christ's ascension, uh, he says to his disciples, now I'm going to send you out. And you will be my witnesses, and you're going to go to people that hate you. You're going to go to people that will laugh at you. You're going to go to people that will kill you. And you're going to tell them the good news. You are going to be the way through which Christ is working physically here on earth. Because now, because of what Christ has done, who are we? Well, look, I, I, said, I said at first that, that, we were the, uh, that we were the priests and rob- robbers and, and the Levites. And, and, then I, and then I said, you know, uh, sorry, I, uh, what we really are is the man on the side of the road. But we were just having a good time there as well. Who we really are, you can't read the story of the Good Samaritan well without seeing that we now, because of the Great Samaritan, now we are the Good Samaritan. We are the way through which Christ is working here on earth. And so who are we in the story of the Good Samaritan? We are the Good Samaritan. Because God has, conduct, has, has concocted this crazy plan that seems terrible to me, is that he has decided to use corrupt sinners to advance and tell others the gospel. This would not be my plan. Um, the, I, I would much more appreciate letters written in the sky in clouds uh, talking about Jesus as God the Son and God the Man and, and, and saying, believe, believe in him uh, and you will be saved. I, I, this would be much easier. And so when God, when God says, I'm going to now use you, sinners, terrible people, to advance the gospel, it's like, I, I want to be like God. No, 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 no. This, this, is, this is a really bad plan. Just send Christ back. It seemed to be going so well when he was here. These people that you've, that you've left, they're not good. They fight. They break into groups and they fight about nothing. And, and, and then they steal and they cheat and they're greedy. They're only thinking about themselves. They have affairs. They're bad. And these are the Christians. Don't use them. Instead, just send Christ back, and then everyone will just see how terrible they are and and how much trouble they're in. But God's ways are not my ways, thank God. And God has chosen to sovereignly work through us to tell the gospel to those who do not know, to, to tell about Christ who saves So we are the body of the great Samaritan, his hands and feet. And now because of Christ, we are the good Samaritan. 
So, who are we in the, in the story of the Good Samaritan? We are the priests and Levites and robbers. We are fully self-focused, fully corrupt. And why are we this way? Well, because we are the man on the side of the road. We are dead in our transgressions and sins. We cannot help ourselves, and we don't even want to help ourselves. And so we are dead. And so the great Samaritan then came, has come and rescued us and has given us life. And because of Christ, now we are the good Samaritan. We are the ones Christ has saved And we are the ones Christ is accomplishing his work through to rescue the world. So what's the answer to the lawyer's question? How do I get eternal life? Which seems impossible since fully loving God and fully loving man seems sufficiently out of our reach. And the answer is simple. We we have eternal life through the one who was able to fully love God... And fully love his neighbor by laying down his life for him. And through this Christ, we have eternal life. And so, we will go out. We will engage the lost, the hurting, the hungry. We will meet the needs of the orphan and the refugee and the foreigner. And we will engage the sinner with the gospel In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Father, thank you for loving us, and for sending your Son and your Spirit to save us. Continue to increase our faith by your Holy Spirit, that you are in fact changing us and changing the world. We ask you to do this, Father, through your Son, and by your Holy Spirit. Amen.